You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Last week, we started a series talking about the importance of the Bible. We said, and I believe with God speaking to me, that in 2020, there is an importance on reading the Bible in this body, in this congregation worldwide, that we need to make that a top priority. If we believe that this is our life map, that this has all the answers for us, then we need to get our nose in the book. If I gave you, uh, you know, we get water here for the uh, coffee from Healing Springs. And if I said Healing Springs water will fix any type of cancer that you have, you would make it a priority to get there as quick as possible if you had cancer or didn't have cancer. Because you knew, oh, if I go there. If I told you, well, if you go to this restaurant instead of that restaurant, this is going to happen, you would make it a priority because you see that. We need to do that with our life. If we know that this has the answers for us, then we need to make it a priority to get in this book as quick as we can. So last week, we preached a sermon in regards to who the Word of God is. Over the next two weeks, we're going to do some teaching So uh, if you have pen and paper, go ahead and pull those out. Uh, If you want to take notes, you can listen to the podcast again um, as I go through these things. We're going to sit back in class again. Preaching the Word of God. We talked about last week the importance of the Word of God because we see, we go to the next slide. The scriptures that we talked about. Kelly, you want to come join me real quick? Can we turn this mic on? So the scripture that we based everything off on was John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh boy, i got to figure out how to turn this thing on. All right, that's red, that's red. Do I go this way for green? Nope. Oh, no. Check, 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 check. I think it's me. I don't know how to turn it on. Dang it, my wife left too. Oh, no. Oh, no, we're in trouble, church. (laughs) Oh, no. Here, I'm going to... Oh, oh, oh. All right. So... Kale came up to me last week and told me uh, that he knows how to say John chapter 1, verse 1, and a couple other scriptures in Latin, and he spoke it to me, so I wanted him to just tell us John chapter 1, verse 1, in Latin for us. Go ahead, buddy. Say it one more time. All right, there'll be a test afterwards on if you can say that too. Thanks, Kale. Homeschool works. Good job, guys. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we jump down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. It didn't become a book straight out. It didn't become pages. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It didn't stay in a castle far away. It didn't have its own private security. The Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. It laid hands on the dead. 
It touched lepers when they weren't supposed to be touched. It loved people. It became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. That the Word of God is not just itty-bitty kind of a percentage of grace and truth. It is full. It is an overabundance of grace and truth. So therefore, we believe that this Word of God is chocked full of grace and truth. We're not beating people over the head with this book, because when we read this book to people, what they should be experiencing just an overwhelming feel of is grace and truth. These are some points that we discussed last week. Number one, that Jesus is the Word of God. We established that at the very beginning. John 1 says, He is the Word. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. We see God speaking the word. We went all the way to Revelations and we see him on that white horse still being established and his name is faithful, his name is true, his name is the word of God and out of his mouth came a sword called the word. Jesus is full of grace and truth which means the Bible is full of grace and truth. We talked about another scripture in 1 John The importance of spending time in the Word will help you distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 1 John 4, 6 is that scripture that I'm referencing. Where the author, John, makes a distinguishing stance between there being a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. And how can I know what truth is if I'm not studying the scriptures and studying grace and truth so that I can kick through the error that can come toward us. And the last point that I made at the end of it was, do you trust the Word? Do we trust that the Word of God is the very top of the line? Everything else around me is false. Everything else around me is false. I'm going to go to the Word of God first to get my truth, and then I'm going to speak that to my world and my reality around me to make that true. The importance of the Word of God. And the question that you have to answer in your own personal life is, do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe that it wants to speak to you? Do you believe that there's truth in there that can help you and guide you? And if you say yes to that statement, then your nose should be in the book a lot more. Our nose should be in that book reading it if we truly believe that we can trust it, that it's got grace and truth to help us, that the Holy Spirit is our teacher who can bring us to higher places, to take us from glory to glory, do you trust the Word of God? So now we're going to go into just some teaching. We're going to go high, high level, and we're just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper and probably go deeper next week more. So we're going to just start off basis talking about the Bible with come a short history of the Bible. The Bible was written over 1,500 years, 1,500 to 2,000 years. Forty men wrote a total of 66 books that were eventually put into a single volume called the Bible. You can read the different websites, different books that talk about the history of the Bible. That these men wrote these words, they wrote these his stories, they wrote these ideas that they felt compelled by God to write. And they wrote them 
over a period of 1,500 to 2,000 years. People in different time periods going through different things, that there were wars, there were famines, there was unity, there were kings, there was increase in knowledge. Forty different men write these 66 books. And eventually men start compiling these things together by inspiration of the Lord. They start adding chapters. They start adding verses, mainly to help people in the synagogues read it, to know where to start, to know where to stop. Men start translating it and putting it together. We have different councils of Christians and bishops and men of the Bible that come together that discuss what should be in there, what shouldn't be in there, believing and asking God for wisdom. They come up with 66 books. We see in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That when we read this book, we have to remember this statement right here, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That this book, every word of it, every word that was written in the original text was given by inspiration of God. From God. And what does that scripture do to us? It's profitable for doctrine to help us build our foundation, something that we can stand on and believe on, and we're not breaking from that ever. The gospel is the gospel. We're not breaking ever away from preaching the gospel, the good news that Christ died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. That is doctrine, that is scripture. We stand on that, we don't move from that. That is our cornerstone, our chief cornerstone is Jesus. That is our doctrine because we've read that from the book. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That this book can help us and teach us and show us. I don't think I have this one in my notes. Yeah, here we go. The next one we have is the history of the Bible. And we're just going to break it down into what all these books are. We have an Old Testament. We have a New Testament. We have a total of 66 books. There's five divisions of how the Old Testament can be broken down. We have Moses writing the law, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The next division we have in the Old Testament, history. All of these books that we have, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, Esther. I think I spelled that wrong. I apologize. Late night. (laughs) Uh, Please defer all uh, grammatical errors. Presschurch.org. These are history books. This talks about the history of the Jews, the wars that they fought, the kings that they had, the things that happened historically to the Jewish people. We have poetry, the division of poetry. We have Psalms, we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, we have Song of Solomon, these beautiful songs, these beautiful poems, these beautiful things that are written about the goodness and beauty of God. We have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. 
These are prophets that God has called that you can read their books and they talk prophetically about what God is doing, what He wants to do, what's going to happen in the future with the Jewish people, what God has planned. And then we have the last division of the Old Testament, the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all at different time periods of the Jewish culture and history and things that are going on as these men are compelled by God at certain times to stand up and declare the word of the Lord to the people. And a lot of the times, those words and the things that they did were pretty embarrassing. Got them killed, got them ostracized, got them made fun of. But they knew that it was God speaking. And if it was God speaking, then they had to say it. And if they had to say it, then God was going to be doing something. Even though there was famine, even though there was war, even though there was this or that that was going on, they knew that when God was saying something and they were declaring it to the Jewish people, that God was still on their side. He was still moving. He was still interacting and interjecting with them. And that God was going to do a new thing. Now we have the New Testament. We have four divisions of 27 books broken down. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talking about Jesus and the life of Jesus and what he did. Bringing the prophecies that happened in the Old Testament and bringing it in to the Gospel, showing us through the Scriptures this defining stance of this is the Messiah. Here are the prophecies. Here are the things that he did. Here are what the prophets said. And look how they come together. No doubt that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We see that in the Gospels. We have history of the early church in Acts. We have Luke writing this history of the church. Talking about the early church. We have the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 10. We have... The conversion of Gentiles, that God has opened the door for salvation to the Gentiles. Amen? That's you and me. He made a way where there seems to be no way for us to now walk boldly into his throne room. We see the life of Saul turning into Paul and the journey that he goes on as he pushes the gospel message, as he pushes this Christian idea and religion throughout the world. And as Paul is just walking, as he's getting this unction in his spirit to go here and to go here, you see in Acts that the Holy Spirit is saying, nope, don't go there. Okay, well, let's go here. Nope, don't go there. Okay, let's go here. Okay, don't go there. All right, well, I'll go here. All right, go talk to her. Go do this. Go speak here. And we see how the gospel is being pushed throughout the world so that it can become a message that can go worldwide. We have the epistles that mainly Paul writes in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. We have these different men of God that are writing these letters to churches and to Jewish people and to people and letting them know the goodness of God. And then we have the last one, Revelation, prophecy book. My pastor always makes a joke, and I agree with him, in Revelation 1, I believe it's chapter 3, that says, blessed are those who read this book. My pastor always says, I don't have to understand it, I just get blessed for reading it. (laughs) 
God wants to bring some revelation to revelation, I'll receive it, but I just get blessed for reading it. Thank you. So we see those there. Now, I want to highlight this. I heard a pastor say this. I thought it was interesting. There are 66 books. Why is there 66 books? And this is what he said. The, you can go to the next one. There are 66 books. There's numerology. You can study numbers in the Bible and see that those numbers mean something. One six means man. Two sixes means potentially double or second man. The reason that this pastor, as I was listening to his sermon, said that there were 66 books is that even the number of books points to Jesus. Because we see in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was on earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. One six means man or sin. Two sixes means a double man or a second man. And that second man, that second Adam is Jesus. That even in the books of the Bible, the number of books, God is still always pointing to Jesus. This book is about Jesus. It's written through Jesus. It is Jesus. Everything that you look in this book is going to point you to Jesus. That's why I said there were 66 books. I thought it was interesting. You could take it or leave it, but I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> Jesus is, I wrote this down, Jesus is the Word of God, so therefore His Word will continually point to Jesus. In every aspect of the Bible, we should be looking for Jesus to make Himself appear. How many of y'all remember the Where's Waldo book? We all had those. Where's Waldo? I didn't grab the Where's Waldo book and look for Johnny. I didn't open up the Where's Waldo and say, man, I, I wonder where Jeremiah is in this book. I'm looking all over and I haven't seen him. No, the book is called Where's Waldo, so I know right away I'm looking for Waldo. On the beach, in the circus, in the mall, I'm looking for Waldo in every aspect, in every way that I can. And when we read the scriptures that are by Jesus, that is through Jesus, that is for Jesus, that every opportunity you get to look, you will see and find Jesus. I don't have this uh, on the PowerPoint. Um, we'll jump into the, the hermeneutics part in a second. Um, I just want to jump through real quick when it comes to translations. You see, the Bible was written in three languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. I don't know if we have any scholars here who can read those three yet. Uh, if you can, please come, come join me. Teach me. Learn me something, please. But we didn't, we didn't, they were originally written in those because they were written to the people at those times. Now we have three different languages at three different time periods attached to those languages, and here's the beauty of it, that God used to create one central theme and story through the whole book. There's 66 books with 40 different writers written over 1,500 to 2,000 years, three different languages, all kind of cultures, all kind of different things, and when we read the Bible, we see this beautiful one-story theme pointing to Jesus from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelations. As these men wrote, Moses writing, not knowing what John was going to write, not knowing what the Apostle Paul was going to write, not knowing what these other men were going to write, but there was just this beautiful theme 
going through the whole book. What a mighty, mighty God we serve. That although he's not involved in time, he's on the outside looking through eternity. That he's like a maestro just moving his hands around Satan and the people. Yep, okay, yep, we'll go over here. All right, that's cool. Yep, oh, you're going to do that? All right, we'll just move this over here. Write this, do this. And now we have this collection all brought into one. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Right now, currently, there's close to 700 different languages the Bible has been translated into. There are numerous English translations. King James Bible was finally written, put together back in like 1604 and finally published and produced in 1611. King James, New King James, Holman, NIV, ESV, What the V. I mean, there's just all kind of translations that are out there that we can read and pick up. And I want to encourage you uh, to pray and seek out what translation best speaks to you, what, what best translation speaks. Uh, I grew up on King James, and, and I, I grew up on that. And as I got older and read it, I thought, I don't really understand this. There's so many these and thous and thithers. Uh, I've jumped into the new King James is primarily where I preach from and where I read from. There's a, there's an, uh, a translation called the Holman edition that I also read from. The Amplified, ESV, NIV, all these. But be diligent and search out and seek out. There's uh, the Message Bible that's out. There's the Passion Bible that I know Miss Karen's a big fan of and Miss Tina's a fan of uh, that's recently been brought out. Um, and so it's these men that come together to bring out the original text and how they feel the way that God is bringing them in that. So go out and study and find out what translation you can read from, what you can understand, what blesses you, what the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and, uh, and do that. So I just want to encourage you to, to do some research in your translation. Don't just use uh, King James or New King James just because the pastor does it. or this. Go out there and find you a Bible you can read, that you can understand. It means nothing if you're reading a book in Latin and you don't speak Latin. Go out there and, and find you a translation. Amen? Amen? All right, here we go. Now we're going to get a little bit deeper. Put up that big word. There it is. Yikes. Hermeneutics. Let's say that together. Let's be a friend of the word. One, two, three. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is what we're going to be diving into for the rest of the sermon and next week. In Bible school, we learned the word homiletics, which is the study or the art of preaching. How I learned to preach, how I learned to compile and bring together a sermon so that I can present, hopefully, a text or a scripture or something to you in a fashion that you understand, you can receive, you can take home and use. Some people are skilled in the art of homiletics, and we've all been in a sermon or two where there are people who aren't that skilled in the art of homiletics as we learn and grow how to do public speaking, how to put it together. But how do I take that text? How do I present that unless I use this other word that we learned in Bible school called hermeneutics? And these are some definitions. The branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or a literary text. Another definition is the science of interpretation, especially of the Scriptures. Spelt that wrong, I believe. Sorry about that. The branch, the last one, is the branch of theology that deals with the principles of biblical exegesis. 
almost sounds like Jesus, exegesis. You can go back to it real quick. The branch of knowledge, I like how, how this word with the scriptures melds it together as we go into this teaching thing. The branch of knowledge, the science of interpretation, the branch of theology. That we got to do some, a little bit of extra work as we go to study these scriptures to learn and understand what he has. That yes, we can read a scripture, open the Bible, read a scripture, and the Holy Spirit can teach us and speak to us instantly, right then and there. But there's also an opportunity to go deeper. That I can stand in a pool in the three feet, and I can receive all the fun that I can playing in that pool. But what if I go into the six feet? What if I go into the eight feet? What if I go into the ten feet? I'll be honest with you, I'm not that great of a swimmer, so I'm going to stay over here in the three feet. But there's opportunities at each level as we dive deeper and deeper and study these scriptures that we can learn more and more and more that can elevate our lives. And it's an art. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it helps us in our craft. It helps us in our walk. You aren't going to be a good mechanic, a good plumber, a good electrician until you go put your hands on it. If you're an electrician, you might want to turn the power off first. I've done some car work. I've done some plumbing work. I've done some electrical work. That doesn't make me an electrician. I'm not well versed in that. I know that if you get a plunger, I can unclog a toilet. But if I want to learn how to do better plumbing... I'm going to have to dive deeper into the pipes. I'm going to have to dive deeper in understanding water, understand what's going on with the soil and different pipes and different glues and different things like that. It's what Paul is constantly referring to when he's talking about baby Christians and mature Christians. And we just keep pushing the envelope to go deeper in the thoughts and the knowledge and the truth of who Jesus is. And if we're going to go deeper, we're going to have to get our hands dirty and do a little work. Going to have to do some interpretation. Going to have to understand some things. Because if we don't, when it comes to hermeneutics, it's how we can get into the spirit of error. We can get far away if we just don't study to show. I wrote these things down. We want to learn to approach the text without intent as opposed to taking the Scriptures out of context by applying our own intent. So when I come to the scriptures, I try and do my best, and sometimes it's hard for us, to let me read what the writer wrote. If all scripture is inspired by God, let me read what God wanted to say here, as opposed to bringing my own baggage to it and trying to read it to twist what I'm feeling at that moment. And sometimes that's a challenge. I'm not not going to lie to you that we come to the text, that we come to the Bible with no intention outside of knowing the heart of God, outside of what He wants to say to us, as opposed to bringing baggage and saying, well, I believe this and I'm going to make it fit in that passage. Well, I heard my pastor say this, I heard this church say that, and so I'm going to make the Scripture say that too right there. No, 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 let's read the Bible for what the Bible says. And we've got to apply hermeneutics to that if we want to learn. So the first rule 
of homiletics. Y'all ready to go into this? Is the rule of definition. The rule of definition. This one won't be too hard to understand. We need to research the English word in the text and research the original word of the text. The rule of definition is what does that word say? What does that word mean? Because what the word meant to the writer 2,000 years ago, that word might be completely different in 2020. And I've got some resources there. I went through my library of all kind of different books and things that, that I have. You need a dictionary. You got that on your phone now. But you can look up words. It's okay if you don't know words. Just look it up. I look it up all the time. I'm a Cajun from Louisiana. Our English ain't that good. And we can look up these English words of what they mean or what they say. But then you've got to take it a step further because remember the original text was written in Hebrew or Greek. Well, I don't speak that. And they have these things called concordances. You can also, these websites are scriptureforall.org is actually the original text. Um, you can go there and you'll see uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament written in their original text. And then on the right side is uh, the breakdown of the actual scripture in, I believe it's King James. And it has the breakdown of what the Greek word is in the concordance and all that. And so it tells you exactly what the text, how it was originally written. And it's really, really crazy. It puts words all kind of ways and different ways. And you can see the original text versus the King James text. And you can see what the words say and all that. It's an interesting thing if you want to dive into it. Blue Letter Bible is also uh, uh, basically a concordance. You can type in a passage of scriptures. You can click on words. You can click on scriptures, and it'll tell you the original Greek or Hebrew word, and you can click on that. It'll give you the definitions. Or you can buy an old-school concordance. And you can go and look, and we can, let's see, let's just flip around to something. Uh, rejoice. Let's just say... I'm looking for the word rejoice. There are three, four, oh no, five. Yep. Five words that mean rejoice. Cairo is a word. Soon Cairo. Agalio. Euphrino. I don't even know how to spell that last one, but it starts with a K. And it's all throughout the Bible that the word rejoice has five different definitions in the Bible. So I can read a, a scripture and it says rejoice. And in my mind, I know what rejoice is. Yay! Woohoo! But there's potential that there's five different definitions for the word rejoice in that passage. See how all of a sudden I'm reading it on a surface level and I can instantly go into the 10-foot deep pool immediately by just looking at the words and seeing what they say. Um, let's see. I'll talk about those a little bit. Let's look at a simple biblical example of this. Psalm 91, verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Let's look at the three ways that charge can be talked about. Number one, charge in Hebrew is, I don't even know how to say that, savah. It means to command, to charge, to give orders, to lay charge, to give charge, to order. 
If you look in the dictionary, the word charge in the English dictionary means to ask a price, a price asked for goods or services. But the word charge in 2020, if I say the word charge to you, what you think of is power up an electrical device. My phone's dying, I need a charge. I got to get somewhere quick. My phone's dying. I need to find an outlet. You ever been to the airport and in the whole terminal there's two plugs and there's people just waiting? Pull it out. Just, 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 just. I've seen videos, I don't know if you've seen it before on social media, where uh, there's people that get stickers of outlets and they put it in the airport on the wall and you see these people coming and they're trying to put the outlet in on this sticker. It's pretty funny. But we need a charge. And this is just a simple, silly example to see how the words have changed over time. How the words, as we continue on uh, throughout history, words are constantly evolving. We used to be on the phone, and we could talk for hours on the phone. But before that, we were writing letters. Look at the letters that Paul is writing. Look at Romans and Corinthians. Have you ever written that much in your life? To sit down and write 1st and 2nd Corinthians, much less Romans, Timothy, Titus, Philippians, Colossians, all those things, they write these massive letters. Then we get phones, then we get emails, then we get text messages. Now we can't even text. We shorten all the words. I've seen pictures on social media, how they put up um, emojis and then um, Egyptian hieroglyphics. They said, we're going back. We're going backwards in our writing. We're... Now I can send three different faces that say three different things to somebody and never have to utter one single word. Palm tree, hot dog, and a star. And that means I'm tired. I mean, I, I don't know what it, what it means. Maybe you can decipher that. Maybe that's a, a new tongue that we can decipher together. I don't use emojis. I don't think I've ever used an emoji. I, I just, I don't. You're probably not going to get a smiley face or a wink face from me. I'm actually going to write something to you. So who knows where our language, what it's going to mean, what it's going to say in 10, 20, in another decade, in another 100 years. So we have to stay true to the definition. Because if I take what charge means to me and apply it to that scripture, the spirit of error can present itself. So I've got to find out what what the word, what the intent of the author meant right there. Go to the word. For he shall give his angels charge over you. He's giving commands. He's giving orders. He's not asking the angel to pay a price. He's not telling the angel to go charge your phone. He's telling him to go protect you. Number two. The rule of usage, and we'll stop with this. The rule of usage. Uh, Trying to remember. Is there one before that? No, no. Maybe I didn't send the right one. Okay. You can go back to the first one. Is there another one? Go back. No? Okay. I didn't send the right one. The rule of usage, how are the words and writing used? Okay, we understood the words, the definitions. 
these big, these big words that are out there. Love. There's multiple definitions of love. Agape love. Filio love. Brotherly love. The love between humans. All these different things. So we go in there and we find out what the words that we don't understand. We look at them in the English dictionary to get an understanding of what that English word means. Then we want to dive into what does that mean. Okay, now we've got all these words combined into a sentence, into a paragraph, into a chapter, into a book. Now we're sitting at the rule of usage. How are the words written and used? We need to understand and remember that the writer is writing to a specific people group that would understand his writings. Moses, many, 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 many years ago, was not thinking of writing to Jeremiah Land in 2020. I mean, us in America want to think so high and mighty of ourselves. These authors had no idea America even existed They're writing to the people that are there currently. They're writing the history of their culture. They're writing the history of their God, the history of their kings. They're writing the stories of Jesus. And they're writing these things, and they're telling these stories that people, normal people at that time period, would understand. So that's why it gets somewhat confusing to us, because we don't always understand their culture and what's going on at that time frame. We need to research and understand as we dive into studying the Word of God how the author used his writings, his sayings, his grammar, what he was saying, what he gets excited about. I mean, you can go through Psalms, and as you read it, you can pick up on the inflection of what David's saying. You can hear his soul breaking as he's talking about being chased by Saul, as the enemy is attacking him. But you can also hear the joy as he's saying these psalms as he's rejoicing and talking about the amazing things that God is doing. We also need, as the rule of usage, we need to check out who the author of the book is, who he's writing to or speaking to as the audience. Well, who's the author? Who, who is he? What's, he what's, what's Moses doing? Luckily, Bible tells us who Moses is. We can see who the disciples are. We can see these different things. The Old Testament was written by Jewish men for Jews to Jews. At that time frame, it was written by Jewish men to the Jewish people for the Jewish people to learn their culture, their history. So what they were writing, the Jews understood. As far as I know, we don't have any Jews here. That's why sometimes that Old Testament gets a little confusing. Am I right? Or is it just me? Maybe you're the interpreter of the Old Testament. But it gets a little confusing reading through those things. But when we understand the usage of what he's speaking to, of when he's speaking it, it helps bring some life to it. The Old Testament, written by Jewish men. New Testament was written by men that were all filled with the Spirit and could speak in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Spirit-filled men write all of the New Testament. Matthew, disciple, John Mark, disciple to Paul, Luke, John, disciple, Paul. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He makes that statement in his writings. James, the brother of Jesus, Jude, all these authors filled with the Spirit speak in tongues, 
spirit-filled writing. Let's look at some examples, and I'll end with this. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Look, as we're talking about, you have to understand who the book is for, who's writing it, and who's he writing it to. Seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you in an orderly account, most excellent, Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. Now, there's some contradiction. People don't really, they don't know if Theophilus was a real person. Theophilus means uh, part of the family of God. So they say, okay, well, it could be just a, a, a hypothetical person that means the family of God. His name means that. And so Luke could be writing to the entire family of God, or he could be writing to one specific person explaining who Jesus is. So he writes Luke and he writes Acts, is what it's believed. And he's a, a, a disciple. He follows Paul. He's a doctor. He's well, uh, well-versed at that time, well-studied. So you can read Luke and Acts, and you can see the history. You can see what he's writing, how he's writing, the descriptions. It's just such a fuller book because we have a more educated person writing that. So you can just read the beginning of these books and find out, okay, this is who the book is for, so therefore I can understand or know that I'm going into it. I could have some questions. Let's go to the, the last one, which has some uh, examples. Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. We know that Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. He says that at the very beginning. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Who's it to? All the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can understand Paul's writings because a majority of his writings start with this type of greeting. Almost all of his writings says, Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can pick up on the usage of Paul's writing by reading his continual books and seeing this as a theme over and over again. But Paul usually makes it very clear, this is to the Gentiles. Church of Philippi is a Gentile church, so therefore that should pique your interest and say, hey, I need to read this. I need to dive into this more because he's talking to me. He's talking directly to me, a Gentile, about what Jesus has done for me. That's why Paul's so important. And then we see James chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a second. James is written to who? To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Oh, okay. So James is writing to the Jews. So there might be some things in James that makes me scratch my head and say, well, it kind of contradicts what Paul says. We'll talk about that later on. There's some things that he says, that doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. It just means that it was written to the Jews All Scripture is inspired by God. We can receive truth and grace from every Scripture that's out there, but we have to understand the usage. Who's the author writing to? And what's he saying? The rule of definition and the rule of usage. So currently, in the back, we have these two books. I found these when Alberto and Susan said they wanted to study the Bible more last year. They said, we want to learn more about the Bible. How can we read the Bible and grow more, but we read it and sometimes we don't understand it? I said, okay, let me, let me dive and find it. And I found these two books. And for every new person that comes, they get these two books and they get a notepad and a pen that says Press Church on them. If you're interested in this book, I think we have some underneath as well. If you're interested in these books, grab those books. This one, How to Study the Bible, which some of the truths that I've taken out of uh, today's sermon, tomorrow's sermon, came from here. And this is Know Your Bible. 
This is a short one. It just tells you the book, Lamentations, who the author is, the date it was written, in ten words or less, a description of the book, details of the book, quotables, unique, unusuals, and so what. It tells you for all 66 books. So we have these two little resources that not only do I just want to preach to you, I want to get things in your hands so that when you go home, you can study. I think this is a book too that I, that I get y'all, I got you that one too. Uh, this is a book that uh, Pastor Eric or Pastor John had sent me. That's a textbook. This one's a little more in-depth to, to read and understand. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can definitely uh, take a picture of it or uh, find it on eBay or Amazon or whatever. And then I have this in my uh, library, How to Study the Word, Taking the Bible from the Pages to the Heart, uh, another book that I've been reading and going through on how to study the Word that is chock full of Scripture that talks about translations and how different books were written and uh, translations were written and things like that. And so there's websites, there's books, there's things that can help us understand the Bible better. And it starts with hermeneutics, studying the Bible, going deeper. Yes, we can read it, we can enjoy it. We have that five-day plan. We printed out more if you need those. You can definitely grab those and, and use those to study your Bible. Uh, talk with Susan and Alberto about those books. They'll, they'll be the best testimony about it. It's blessed their lives. They've enjoyed it. Um, and that's why we got it. That's why we give it out to the new people. So um, we'll stop right there. Y'all stand up and uh, we'll end up and close. Did you learn something today in class? Get ready to come with your, with your thinker on next week. We're going to dive into probably five or six more of, uh, of some laws of hermeneutics to help you in your Bible reading. Grab, if you're interested in those two books, we got them back there. Grab those. Uh, read them. If you're not going to read them, bring them back or don't grab them at all. Uh, we're going to give those to people. We have the five-day plans up there. If you're interested in reading the Bible through the whole year, you can read it in five days, for each five days, and you'll read it throughout the year. There's seven-day reading plans. This is a five-day, so you don't have to read it over the weekend, or you can catch up over the weekend. And by reading it five days a week, you'll read it throughout the whole year. Uh, there's some books here if you're interested in looking at them or taking pictures of them so you can buy them online. Uh, I want to get as much resources as I can to you so that you can get as full of the Word as you can. Amen? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that your word is completely inspired by you, that we can read that book, we can trust it, we can grow, we can be uh, corrected, we can be loved on, and we can constantly be full of grace and truth when we read your word and see who Jesus is. Father, bless your people, protect your people, heal your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, we love you, and we'll see you all next Sunday. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.